exactly. And stay tuned for Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. We need volunteers, folks, in the phone room. Anybody who is uh, out there doing nothing this afternoon and has just dying to come down here and share our coffee and uh, cakes and have a oh, oh a lot of fun picking up the phones, please. Uh, we could stand a few more, a few more guys in the phone room. I was listening to my own theme song from the Three Penny Opera. And it reminds me that today, today is the birthday of Bertolt Brecht, the author of Three Penny Opera, that uh, radical work from the 1930s in the Weimar Republic in Berlin, yes. Oh, boy, um, uh, Brecht must be 106 by now. 1898, if I remember correctly, is his B-Day. Now, there is a man for today's world, uh... His lines are right on target. <laughs> yes. Ah, that song. First feed the face, then talk right and wrong. Uh, grub first, then ethics. War is like love. It always finds a way. <laughs> Bertolt Breck would recognize at once the conditions of exploitation that prevail over most of the globe today, and especially the hypocrisy that sustains it all. Our local monthly newspaper, Street Spirit, tries to address some of the politics of poverty. Uh, This paper is sold by the homeless on our streets. This month, February, there's a column of quotes. It's a regular column. uh, Poor Leonard's Almanac and uh, Leonard Frank has asked a guest writer, uh, a friend of both of ours, Rosalie Maggio. She does the Beacon Book of Quotations by Women, and she's put the column in this week titled, Women's Reflections on Poverty. (laughs) Yes. I think, yes, I wonder if women really feel much differently about it. They see it from a different angle, perhaps, from Eleanor Roosevelt to Buffy St. Marie. Women, I think, are acutely aware of the violence of poverty. Uh, we've got here Emma Goldman, Molly Ivins, Carson McCullers. They all know the, the humiliations, the injustices, uh, and the, the utter cruelty of deprivation. After all, it is the women who have to watch their children starve, at least, uh, more often from George Eliot back in the 19th century to 
Hannah Arendt in her 1951 book, The Origins of Totalitarianism, women thinkers understand the uses of fear, the use of fear to control us, not just to control women, but to control the underclass. Uh, most of us, yes, live these lives of not-so-quiet desperation. Uh, if we were not afraid, if we were not, uh, what is that, afraid of losing what we have, afraid of paucity, of losing our resources, just think what we might say, what we might even do. Uh, I remember when I was, I think, a college freshman, I was doing a play by Oscar Wilde, and there was a line in it that startled me, even I wasn't that bright at 17. Uh, yes, the, the snotty little woman, uh, flirtatious Gwendolyn Fairfax, she refers to <laughs> the influence of a permanent income on thought. And I went home and thought about that for a year, and uh, it did turn me around. Imagine for a moment what uh, free will could accomplish think of Virginia Woolf's book, A Room of One's Own. Actually, that book is about having economic freedom, economic self-determination. Uh, it, of course, changes everything. Uh, the dread of consequences strikes terror in our hearts and minds. Uh, everyone I know says, well, you know, it's a job, that kind of thing. Uh, Survival is the first order of business, and these Bush boys, these state terrorists, they're like every terrorist all the way back through history. They just have meaner machines today. Uh, let us hope that this uh, Senator John Kerry, uh, let's hope that he, he's got an edge. He has those years in Vietnam and years as an anti-war activist following the Vietnam War, perhaps some of that has really brought him the kind of wisdom that will modify some of this mayhem. Uh, remember, folks, the Messiah isn't running. Um, he looks to be as good as it's going to get. Check out his biography. You will find some reason for hope. His voting record in the Senate is uh, left of Ted Kennedy's. He can act the man for the voters who demand that sort of thing, you know. Uh, he can project the necessary gravitas while knowing at the same time that fire wars are obsolete. Simply, um, they're as out of date as chattel slavery. Hopefully, he can also affect or um, present with a certain charm. Not the Clinton charm, but... Uh, I saw a cute button on one of Carrie's supporters this week. It said, uh, Dated Dean Married Carrie. Electoral politics are so damn silly. Uh, <laughs> people, for some reason or another, they personalize politics, particularly when it's the president. I don't think they care so much about the senators and so forth, but the president's kind of like the royal family. They have this personal identification. I wish we could have two sets of um, rulers, leaders. Yes, we need a royal family and then a prime minister. That makes sense to me. Uh, our very lives depend on the choices of these human beings. Uh, Senator Kerry has already begun to speak uh, about economic oppression. 
several books he's mentioned. Uh, he definitely is narrowing it down for real. I hope he gets out those charts. You know, remember Ross Perot with his little charts? I hope Carrie explains uh, and communicates to the public these Orwellian tricks that the Bush administration is playing. You know, all that talk about tax cuts as if uh, the middle class were getting a break. Uh, it's all about the distribution of wealth upward. Surely the facts, the facts will cut through some of the fog, even in today's corporate media. We know that uh, intelligence in presidents does correlate with their effectiveness. Uh, 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 the Al Gore debacle is still very much in my mind. Uh, but history teaches us that uh, brains do trump charisma. I mean, no one thought Abe Lincoln was cute. Cute, folks, will get you Arnie Schwarzenegger. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, today... Um, I have a number of things to do. First of all, uh, well, most of all, I, I have to uh, uh, read to you from a book that I've brought as a premium. I want to thank, first of all, all those of you who have written to me. I have such a big pile of letters here. One from uh, the Quakers American Friends Committee from the guy who publishes Street Spirit. I hadn't realized... Um, He's thanking me for mentioning the paper on the air, my goodness. Uh, honestly, I would have thought, yes, that we knew that we were all in the same boat here, yes. Uh, the um, other local paper I wanted to mention to you is the Berkeley Daily Planet. I've been reading Becky O'Malley's editorials faithfully, and I think her political spin seems to me the most grounded and sensible. Uh, I remember when our local paper was the Berkeley Barb and we could go go wild, but uh, I think this one here in the current edition, let's see, we've got uh, February 10 through 12, Berkeley Daily Planet. It's actually a bi-weekly. We've got not just Becky O'Malley's editorial, but... We've got a spin on Senator Kerry by Joe Connison, spelled C-O-N-A-S-O-N. -O -O if you pick up the paper, you might check it. Joe Connison writes a weekly column on politics for the New York Observer. His recent book is Big Lies, the Right-Wing Propaganda Machine and How It Distorts the Truth. Uh, yes, I think maybe... Between now and November, the Berkeley Daily Planet will be a good place to check out what the locals think and feel. Uh, there's even a poem here by Peter Solomon, Primary Blues. <laughs> okay. And, yes, uh, I was looking at uh, another website that I love these days called OutlookIndia.com because it has Arundhati Roy featured on oh yes check it out folks i i become completely distracted by the numbers of uh, uh bits and pieces of information here lists i i think it it helps to spend maybe an hour you know checking out the the headlines everywhere then the rest of the time i need to sit down and soak you know 
in one or two um, thinkers, writers. Uh, let's see here. The New York Review for 12 February 2004. A kind friend has sent me the reviews of Angels in America, which I've talked about so much that people complain. It's the TV film directed by Mike Nichols. And, you know, 30 million households actually subscribed to home box office folks, and it's our new national theater. If you have the New York Review, check out Winged Messages by Daniel Mendelssohn. It's a really terrific analysis and review of what, for me, is the theater event of the year, the uh, six-hour television film in two parts, Angels in America. I'm still listening to it, playing it. I, I put it on every weekend. I must have seen it more times than I've seen Gone with the Wind in any case. I mustn't take any more time for that. What I need to do, first of all, is offer you this book. And I need to give you our phone number, which is 1-800-HEY-KPFA. And I'm going to repeat that again every three minutes. The book that I've got today is very special. Uh, it's not, you know, one of the books by the uh, people on the front line, Howard Zinn, Noam Chomsky, Nawal Sadaway, Arundhati Roy, all those premiums uh, public affairs folks have been giving you. What I found was a very arcane book by a woman my age. Uh, it's just the sort of book that consoles me, shows me that there are still people doing things that are special and unique. This is a woman who took the road less traveled by and then some. Uh, her name is Ginny Barton Brownback, and here's what Mark Doe says about her. He says, for 20 years or more, I have watched Ginny Brownback leave and return from her compulsive explorations of the forbidden corners of the planet. I would ask, who are you going with in paternalistic horror at the idea of an older woman traveling alone to Laos, Kashmir, um, the Outer Hebrides, uh, the Hindu Kush. No one, she'd answer. I'm going alone with a mix of pride and apprehension in her voice. She sped off. I now know that she was rarely alone. It's a fine and challenging art, setting out to a place unknown, returning home with a blaze of wild memories, a deeper sense of how other worlds work, and a collection that will enchant the Ernst Wild Traveler for decades to come. The book is called Daredevil Twilight, and uh, it's the sort of book that uh, makes me remember, you know, that there is still this wide range of choices. Uh, this woman, Ginny Barton Brownback, is a writer-photographer. She lives in Inverness here, but of course she's mostly not home. She's a world traveler. This is a woman who survived tuberculosis as a young woman. Um, you know, the antibiotics kicked in, and at 25, she emerged healthy. I think sometimes, you know, travelers, people, exceptional people have that experience when they are young. Uh, they recognize the value of life on Earth, and uh, they take advantage she actually did her domestic duty. She married, had two children. And then at about 50, she set forth. You know, Eastern wisdom teaches us that first we do our social duties uh, in the home. And then we can go on what um, 
the New Agers like to call a spirit quest. Uh, it's that journey which takes us to knowledge and sometimes to wisdom. Some of us prefer to go within. One consolation I have is that the only way out is in. I tend to like to sit on a rock over in Bolinas, uh, in the same place I've been sitting for 20 or 30 years. But in any case, uh, this woman, Ginny Barton Brownback, uh, has written a book called Daredevil Twilight. And what I'm going to do here, I, I don't know what else to do except to just skim across the surface thumb the book for you so you can get an idea. Uh, there's a wonderful picture on the front of a woman, yes, coming up out of the river, the Ganges here with this big pot on her head. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know where she got the nerve to do all this, but uh, she is one of those who just uh, takes one backpack and off she goes. What is it she wrote about that, you know, about traveling light? There's a wonderful line here somewhere. Uh, going alone, you know, not doing it the, the touristy way. Uh, oh, well, now I've misplaced that page, but she has a wonderful list of the, the ways to travel, uh, let's say, without impediments. Uh, I think for me, I would say most of all without the prejudices and the pictures that we all of us carry about how it's supposed to be over there. Uh, I could read you a whole bunch of reviews, but I won't do that. Uh, I'll just skip right in to the first bit. Let's see. Uh, she goes first to Europe. Makes sense. Yes, indeed. Uh, and... Uh, she goes to a place, the sort of place that I would love, uh, the stones, oh, these wonderful stones. Uh, there's a picture of the Kalanash stones in the Hebrides on the Isle of Lewis. And there are old men there. What I like about these stones is that they're not like Stonehenge, you know. Nobody really knows what these are all about. Uh, the scholars, she writes, thinks that these stones were erected between 2400 and 1350 BCE. Uh, the Museum of Antiquities in Edinburgh exhibits beaker pots and axes, and a visit there helps us visualize the Bronze Age. Uh, what's funny, of course, is that when she talks to the locals about the stones, they don't think they're... Uh, anything really very special, uh, although they do appreciate the fact that the stones bring in the tourists. <laughs> yes. The woman she stays with says uh, that she thinks nothing at all about the stones. They were here before we were born, and they'll be here when we're gone. Uh, no, I have always been fascinated with stones. I remember taking the name stone for all kinds of reasons, but... Uh, Anyway, her landlady, a Mrs. McLeod, she says, has never been off this island, this island in the Hebrides, although she had thought of going once or twice. At her table, I hear how to dip a sheep and salt a mackerel. The heart of her house is the telephone outside my bedroom, where she chats with her close ones in both English and Gaelic, and I learn something about talk. 
as play. Then she goes on about her trysting hour with the old men after the evening meal, and uh, I get a kick out of it because, of course, eventually she falls in love, or at least she has a liaison with a man, and uh, <laughs> she she's fallen in love with the language. She said she could not have lived a week with this Scot-Irish man that she uh, gets close to. But the language is, uh, oh, I tell you, I remember it is so, so overwhelmingly, uh, seductive. Um, let's see. Here she is talking about that guy, yes. Uh, <laughs> she's, it, it, she actually points out that in Scotland, you know, things are fairly conventional. And, um, they didn't actually have much of a chance to um, uh, indulge their romantic passion. Uh, they basically uh, had to uh, hide out from the locals, but she calls it divine madness. Uh, and she writes that uh, this guy, um, uh, that they had a terrible, terrible fight at the end naturally we had a huge row no doubt the only way to wrench ourselves away it was easy to argue we were two strong people operating on a different grid he had no clues for interpreting an independent american woman and i had no clues for deciphering a proud scott irish man stranded on an impoverished island uh, what i liked about what she said was that this was someone who had absolutely nothing but was just about everything. Uh, yes. Uh huh. She said each re-encounter was a little less perfect. Uh, hmm. Ah. Uh, anyway, once she has, let's say, uh, um, skimmed, skimmed. Europe, let's see, let's get her to Rome. She gets to Rome um, when the Pope has died, the father. She hears everybody saying that father has died, lost without language. She has a terrible time with uh, her Italian. <laughs> Somebody makes a pass at her at one point, and she's so startled that uh, the few Italian words that she'd memorized evaporated, and she responded mechanically, and then insanely she started repeating Sumadre, Sumadre, meaning I'm old enough to be your mother. What are you thinking? <laughs> the young man understands the body language and backs away instantly, blushing and repeating, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Anyway, she's in Rome for the funeral of Pope Paul VI. And it's, let's see, August 1978. This is very early in her... her uh, travels. Anyway, the Swiss guards come out and she goes on and on. Uh, a pickpocket's dream, they say. They're expecting 5,000 people. And this is the guy at her hotel. He tells her to stay home and watch it on television. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been my thought anyway. Um, she goes out and gets buried in this, um, this, what would you call it? Um, uh, anyway, it all stands for eternal life, she says. Um, the Pope stipulated that he wanted an outdoor mass and that he should have the simplest cypress casket. Uh, 
He says, let's see, she says, the Pope has incurred enemies by trying to take away privileges from the aristocracy. He was the one who tried to be the people's Pope. All he wanted on the stage was one massive tall candle. Yes, standing for eternal life. She writes, as I tell this story of Rome, she said, 20 years have gone by, but the shapes and sounds, even the smells are all retrievable, the wine, the incense, the women's perfume. The event was honorific on an almost unimaginable scale, but personal as well. A man was there as well as a pope. In the forms of the liturgy and music by which the centuries-old Roman church responds to the end of the journey, whosoever it might be, king or Claude, the meanings are universal. Anyway, she says she'd never been tempted to return to Rome or to try to recapture that particular moment. Uh, it's funny, I don't see her in Rome. Here she is, she's got to Nepal. Blue rinse in my duffel. This is, this is about being categorized as an older woman. Uh, mm-hmm. She says that back in Europe she tried to live in two worlds. Uh, that was the Celt, yes. Um, her lover, the Celt, told her that uh, Celts live in two worlds. And she tried, but I think... This is a very down-to-earth, concrete woman. Uh, I think I feel that I, uh, I've traveled with her. I know who she is. She, she's very grounded. She even tells you the price of things, and she gives you lots of lists of food, and, you know, um, we know all about the toilet paper here. Folks, now, let me start giving you the number for this book. This book is called Daredevil Twilight. And I have ten copies, and if you want a copy of Daredevil Twilight, you have to telephone us here at KPFA. Our number is 1-800-HEY-KPFA or 1-800-439-5732. Uh, that's one 800 439 5732. If you live right around, uh, if you live right here in Berkeley, you can call us, um, at 510-848-5732, KPFA, right. That's the local number. Uh, anyway, here she is in Nepal, and, uh, Yes, she's with the other old women who, <laughs> yes, uh, they tell her never lend any of your clothes. That means you don't need them. <laughs> she says, after my high in the Himalayas, I cut the cord. I rent my house for three months and fly from Kathmandu to Delhi and on into Kashmir. The U.S. State Department's advisory against travel by road across the restless Punjab tells me that if I want to see the contested jewel in the crown, I better do it before its volatile border with India is closed. Okay, off she goes to Kashmir, away from the glitz. Uh, now, this one is quite scary, this chapter. She, I think she, she asks her guide to get some other people to travel with them, and he turns up with four or five other guys, young men, uh, all locals. <laughs> this is Abdul. He says, yes, our women are beautiful, like apples. Anyway, 
she trusts these guys and she goes off with them and heads for the Himalayas and, you know, enters bit by bit the Muslim world. Um, one of these guys actually gets her as far as Pakistan. Uh, she has this great love for the Tibetan people. She recognizes their aura, their specialness. Um, and my goodness, I barely scratched the surface. I have three quarters of this book yet to finish up. And I don't have time. I want you to call up and get this book. It's 1-800-HEY-KPFA, 1-800-439-5732. For a $60 membership in KPFA, you can get a copy of Daredevil Twilight a book about the travels of a local woman who has spent the last 20 years uh, trekking all over the earth on her own. Looks like there's about no place she hasn't been, from Normandy to Cambodia to Vietnam. Let's see, where else has Virginia gone? Uh, Laos, she's gone behind the Iron Curtain on the Peace Walk. She ends up down in Mexico. $60, folks. A $60 membership once again. Hey, KPFA, 1-800-439-5732. This week on Full Circle, have we got a Valentine's special for you. Are you a Taurus, Cancer, Leo? Oh, my is your love life red, hot, or ice cold? Join us with the authors of Sextrology and find out how you and your lover rate together. Also, did you know that Romeo and Juliet are in love in the ghetto? Listen to Youth Radio's version of the medieval love tragedy, 